0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Psalms and the steadfast love of God. We've been exploring the intricacies of God's covenant love for His people and learning what it means to pour out our hearts to Him. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today are Pam Willis and Shannon Laurier. And Shannon, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about how you and Pam know each other.
1: Okay, so I first met Pam almost exactly 18 years ago. I was moving back to Augusta from Thailand. I had been there about two and a half years, and I came back to Augusta not really knowing what I was going to do. I had an interview at First Press to be the Singles Ministry Women's Coordinator, and I met Pam actually in her living room. Uh, In my interview for the job at the church. So it was Matt and Pam in the room with John Barrett and Amber. That's right. (laughs) And I really had no idea at that point what I was, what really was coming for me in the immediate future in the next couple of years. But little did I know I was meeting that evening some of my very closest friends. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm.
2: That's great. Uh, I still remember that day and we talked about it earlier today but one of us asked um, well I mean it's such a vivid memory in my mind like a lot of my memories are foggy from the last 30 years but this was a very vivid memory of her sitting in our living room I thought she was so cool (laughs) but um, but I remember someone asking because we talked about it earlier like what are you going to do if one of the single guys asks you to go on a date and she said, "Yeah, she said I'm going." <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, we're gonna this girl married." And then Thailand,
1: two and a half years, no dates. I'm going.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. And
1: yeah. my motto was, "I'll go on a first date with anybody, with anybody that a friend recommends."
0: I oh love it. God. I love it. So that was a good interview. I remember that day too because I remember you told us in the morning, maybe mid morning, that you were going out to look for cars, and by like four o'clock, you'd purchased one. And so <laughs> I thought that then tells that me something. That is
1: the that's okay so i was with
2: y'all before i bought the car Mm -hmm. the day i bought the car is the day i met troy so basically you met your best friends and your husband and you bought your first car on the same day. Yeah. It's a big
0: day. It's pretty
1: crazy. That's a big day. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, we are, we are starting out strong, y'all. We are going to tell people a little bit more about who y'all are. And we're also going to answer our first things first question. So our first things first question for today is what was your first job after college? So Pam, start us off. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and answer the first things first question.
2: I'm Pam Willis. I'm married to Matt. I have three adult children. Um, I feel like this year our hobbies have changed. I feel like they have become weddings mm-hmm. and travel. Mm-hmm. So I, um, we have traveled a lot this year, um, which was really unexpected, but it's been great. But when we are home, we love to cook. We enjoy having people over. We enjoy people taking people out on the lake. We're pretty laid back. So I would just say we enjoy being with people. I went to Georgia College. Um, my junior year of college, I got an internship at a law firm in Macon, so I traveled back and forth that semester, and when I was doing the my internship, the guy that I was working for asked if I would like to have a full-time job, and I was very thrilled about this because I was kind of over college. I was ready for a, you know, big girl job, so I left Georgia College, and I moved to Macon all by myself. I lived in an apartment, and I started working my, I guess it would have been my senior year of college. And I finished my classes at night that year. And I continued to work for that attorney until we moved to Augusta, which was right after we had Josh. So I think I was with him five to seven years. So that was my my first job.
0: Which really is a big girl job. If you think about the fact that you left your senior year, you live by yourself and you managed all of that. You didn't really know anybody when you first went there. Not a soul. Not a soul. Mm-mm. Brave girl. Yeah. The
3: Allman Brothers, probably. Yes,
2: I knew of the Allman Brothers. Found a church. We got married in that church. Oh, that's great. And um, Macon's a really sweet place to us, although we don't really go there anymore. It's, yeah, has a lot of sweet memories. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is Shannon Laurier.
1: I am married to Troy. When I'm being silly, I call him T-Roy. <laughs> um, and we have three... Pam has adult children. I have children, children. <laughs> teenage so children. Almost. Teenage Not children. Quite. Yes, I Yes. Actually, two that are. So, Simeon is 14, a freshman in high school. Scout just turned 13. She is a 7th grader. And then Jake is 10, and he is in 5th grade. And let's see. I am a PE teacher, elementary PE. And my main hobby at the moment is helping my kids live their best life life that's what i do in my, hobby. in my miscellaneous time um my first job after college so i um a story for another day but i graduated from Valdosta state which was actually my third college won't go into that and i was a health and physical education major and i finished uh it took me 5 years to graduate finished moved back to augusta Had not found a job. It was August. School had really started probably a couple of weeks, and I got a call from um, Newton County in Covington, Georgia, to interview for a middle school PE job that would involve potentially coaching girls basketball. And so I interviewed and felt good about it, and then the principal called and said, well, I really wanted to offer you the job, but the teacher leaving was going to take an adaptive PE position, and she got cold feet, So she's staying, but would, however, would you want to interview for the adapted position? And I would still like for you to coach the girls team at this particular middle school. So then I um, said, sure, I'll interview. And so I had this one was at the board of education with a panel of people. And, you know, I really didn't feel qualified, but they hired me and it was a great first job. I really loved it.
3: So my first big girl job was I was a dietitian at a outpatient dialysis clinic here in town. So would help people figure out what they could eat while they were on dialysis. So that was fun. I learned a lot in that job. And that was one of many jobs that I've held over my lifetime.
0: Yeah, for being so young, you've done a lot of different things, my friend. You are a jack of many trades and a master of many, too. <laughs> could we say? I don't know. I don't
3: know. Had a well, lot of jobs. We'll leave it to that.
0: My first job out of college was actually here at First Presbyterian Church, which was a surprise to me. I'm from Indiana. I lived out in Colorado for a few years. I finished school in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was heading back out to Colorado to work. And a friend of mine said, why don't you come to First Pres with me and do a summer youth internship? and I said okay I think I will and I did and then to my surprise I ended up accepting a two year position also as a youth intern and met my husband and we have stayed here so that was a circuitous route I had not planned on but I was grateful for and I when I think about graduating from college and taking our first jobs I think about what Pam was saying that you really feel like it's your first kind of big girl moment you step out into the world You have things that you want to do, you feel equipped, you feel hopeful, you feel excited, you feel like you want to make an investment and make a change, and you go into it with some energy. And then life happens, and some hard things happen, some disappointments come, some unexpected hardships, just maybe life doesn't go the way you planned. And, and then you find that hope is a little harder to hold on to. And as we come to this Psalm today, the Psalm we're going to be looking at is Psalm 77. And the psalmist starts out just by talking about the fact that he is crying out to the Lord and he is asking the Lord to hear him because he is in trouble. And if you haven't had a chance to read this Psalm yet and you're listening to us, then I suggest you hit the pause button and read it now because by reading it yourself, you really do get so much more out of the conversation. The context of this psalm, it was written to the choir master. It was a song of Asaph and the sons of Asaph were priests. And so they ministered either in the tabernacle or in the temple. And the psalm would have been used like many others um, in corporate worship or to be sung together. And really the crux, the main point of this psalm is that I will cry aloud to the Lord and he will hear me. And it's giving words to both of those things. to what it looks like to cry aloud to the Lord, to what it looks like to know that he hears us, to remember who he is and what he does. And if you look at how this, this psalm is put together, the first eight verses really focus on the cry of the psalmist's heart and the questions that spring from it. It talks about the soul that refuses to be comforted. And then he moves into verse 10, and there's a little bit of a change. He appeals to something outside of himself. He appeals to the Lord, to the right hand of the Most High and all he has accomplished, his powerful works his deeds, his wonders of old. And then after verse 10, the psalmist begins to say, I will remember, I cry aloud, and I remember. And those are the two things we're going to talk about today, what it looks like for us to cry aloud to the Lord and what it looks like to us for us to remember. So, y'all, in what ways can you identify with this psalmist's time of trouble, the ways he describes it and his seemingly failed attempts to deal with it?
1: As I was um, thinking through this, it d- There are a lot of different things that um, would come up I can think of several times in life where I was struggling, um, maybe in a particular sin or hardship or disappointment. Um, But this, the one particular one I'm going to share was in my mid-20s, I was single and I had been invited to join a team of Campus outreach people in Thailand, and I had been on a mission trip. I'd actually been on two summer mission trips to Thailand prior to that, and the Lord really in those times, and it was a period from the first time I went until I actually did move there, I guess it was probably five years-ish maybe, and um, the Lord from the very first trip I made just really turned my heart towards those people, and when I the year that I taught school, my first job, and then uh, left that job to work with campus outreach, I still always my my heart was hoping that ultimately somehow that would lead me to an opportunity for Thailand. And so, the opportunity came. I just I don't think I ever thought it wouldn't come until I was you know twenty seven. And so, as I was praying through that and thinking through that, the Lord just brought up, um, you know, I was. Thinking about my singleness, and I—I I don't think that I necessarily realized I—and it, maybe it wasn't discontentment. I really would just say it was a really deep soul kind of sadness and disappointment. And as I was trying to make this decision, I was um, praying, and I just found myself quite literally crying and weeping and. It really was over a period of a couple of weeks that I was, you know, every time I would pray and think about it in journal, I would, I really would just weep. And I was, um, frustrated with Lord. I, I was thinking, okay, Lord, either, you know, give me the desire of my heart or change the desire of my heart and help me just to move on from this. I'm frustrated that I'm kind of this stuck and, this sad but um anyway i would just i felt like i was mad at myself but as i i was looking or i was considering the psalm i just thought about that time and that struggle and um of course now i look back at it and if i had time to share all that i learned in that it just was the lord really used that to allow me to experience his comfort in a deeper way um, and actually, you know, another a longer story, there was some particular sin that the Lord really revealed and convicted me of that that led to just some great growth in my life as well in that time. And so I look then it was like crying out and I just felt like the Lord wasn't answering me. Now I look back mm. and see very, you know, it's easy to see very clearly how he was. Mm. Yeah.
0: That feeling that, that's describing those first few verses, I keep holding out my hand continually, and it just doesn't seem like I'm receiving what I'm reaching out for.
2: Right. Yeah. I think all day yesterday, I, I really thought about the author of the psalm, and I couldn't get my mind off of what he might have been going through personally when he wrote it. I wondered if it was a tragic event or an ongoing sickness Or he was just really depressed. I think when I'm really struggling or when I'm going through something hard, I experience some of the same things that he did. I don't sleep, I'm anxious, I doubt that he's working, I wonder where he is, I wonder if his word's really true. I wonder constantly what he's up to. I think the psalmist might be saying in his head what I tend to say, which is where did I go wrong? What could I have done differently? He's looking back over his life and really struggling with where he is and where he assumes God is. In those times, I have this head knowledge of what God's word says, but my heart and my body are telling me something totally different. It's almost like there's a war going on, and I'm so fearful that I just keep asking the Lord, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Help me to see you are in this.
0: Mm -hmm. I like how you um, can identify with the ways your body responds. And I like that the psalmist uses those type of descriptive words to resonate with people, um, to know what it's like when you feel like your eyes can't close and your soul just won't be comforted and how our bodies very much respond to that. We know that feeling and we can resonate with just, it makes you wonder, what was he thinking? Was he thinking things like I'm thinking? Because that's what I'm thinking when I feel that way. Yeah, it makes it yeah, applicable.
3: I love how honest God's word is and allows us to bring that honesty to him. Um, it's so healing to know that he's seen fit to put this in his word for us to model our prayers after that. And yeah, we all know that feeling where we've cried out and we can't find peace and we just wait upon the Lord. And I think that's what the psalmist is showing us here. So when we see this psalmist, he's in his distress. And his spirit does a diligent search and brings to the surface a few questions. Will the Lord spurn me forever? Will he never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? So which of those questions does your own heart ask when you're troubled? Can you give any recent examples of how you might have felt that way?
2: I think my um, my answer would be probably verse eight. Uh, There are many seasons in my life when I doubt the Lord's keeping his promises. And I think the overarching doubt I have has to do with my children. I think having adult children is really hard. I think uh, we can all agree that having children in general is hard, but I've found these last few years uh, have brought me to a place where I realize I have absolutely no control whatsoever. I mean, he gives us little teasers of that throughout their life, but um, you know, once they're grown and out of our house, we really recognize that. I, we, I, we love having adult children. It's very rewarding. It's fun. You see them becoming their own person, starting their own families, making their own choices. But from the time they're born, year by year, little by little, you're letting them go. And this can be quite painful at times because once they are adults, oftentimes you have to sit back and watch them make big life decisions that you might not agree with. Um, you might... They might make decisions that don't line up with God's word. And um, as I said, wait for it, ladies. You might even watch them have to have a lack of interest in spiritual things. Or you might have to watch them walk away from the Lord. Mm. So as I've wrestled with some of those things, when I lie awake at night and I'm wondering, are your promises really true? Do I really believe you, Lord? Um, I, I just, I, I can totally relate with the psalmist. This, this past week we had... A tragic event happened in our life. Our son, Luke, was coming to Augusta for the weekend, and right as he walked in the door, he got a phone call that a tragic accident had occurred on base, and his 21-year-old friend um, that he works with every single day was killed. And um, we were all just standing in the kitchen, literally sick to our stomachs, crying, wondering, how this could have happened. I mean, these are well-trained soldiers who put guns together with blindfolds on who, I mean, they go out in the middle of the night with, you know, tons of scary weapons and an accident happened. And this 21-year-old boy's dead. Mm -hmm. And Luke had just been with him three hours earlier, and so all I could do, literally, was put my hand, my head in my hands, and say, "Lord, help us. Help Jesus. Help us. Tell me what to say. Help hmm. me know how to comfort him."
1: Hmm. I love that in those moments we can pray and say we don't know what to pray, and know that the Spirit intercedes for it. Know that the Spirit intercedes for us. Mm-hmm. um i think for me if i if i look at this list of questions um one of them that i sometimes would resonate with me would was uh has he in anger withheld his compassion i think there are some times when i may be struggling um and questioning god and about a particular circumstance or disappointment or whatever it may be. And, uh, I start to think, okay, God is fine. He's, he's finally doing it. He's treating me as my sins deserve. And which is so silly because I know from his word that he does not treat me as my sin deserves. And sometimes I can, um, look back at the whole of my life and, uh, See so many of the Lord's blessings and good things in my life and feel like, okay, at some point I am, because I am sinful and I deserve it, He is going to treat me like I deserve. And uh, this one particular example I was going to share with this one, um, I got Scout's uh, permission to do this. At first I was going to try to share generically, but it was really difficult to be generic with this particular thing and so she gave me her permission so um about three years ago exactly because she just turned 13 september 28th so the week before her 10th birthday we were at a hair appointment for her to get her hair trimmed and when the hairstylist you know how they kind of divide your hair and pull it up a section at a time when it got kind of to the bottom in the back she had one really large bald spot and two smaller bald spots that had been covered by the top layer of hair, so we had not seen them. And um, the beautician, who actually is a good friend of ours, just kind of looked at me, and I kind of look at it, and I was just... Honestly, I don't think, I don't think I panicked in that moment because it just the reality of it wasn't really setting in. But I took a picture, went home and, um, sent it to our pediatrician and she immediately said, I think it's alopecia. Let's get you an appointment quickly. And our, um, our hero, Anna Kay Duckworth, uh, got us in very quickly. Just like, I think that was a Friday and we went to see her on Monday. She confirmed that, um, Diagnosis and immediately she said, "Okay, do y'all want to start treatment here?" And the treatment initially was um, injections in the balding areas and then oral prednisone. And so, I just kind of looked at Scout and said, "Okay, do you want to?" I think we really knew what we were getting into. I'm sure she did not know. And I said, "Do you want to go ahead and start now?" And she said, "Sure, let's start now." So. It was something between, I think, 40 and 60. Um, I say injections, Mm -hmm. not like full-on stick the needle all the way in, but the needle would go just kind of under the surface of the skin, but very painful. Mm -hmm. And so I watched Scout as she was experiencing the pain, and um, it just was unbelievable. She put her head down, and she would say, ow, 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 but she never flinched. Mm -hmm. She never said stop. She never said, I'm not doing this. And she took it. Moving forward from that, there were two really difficult years of watching our girl losing her hair, watching her every other week go through really painful treatment and every day taking a medication that made her not be able to sleep, that made her, cha- her face get chubby and round, and it just was difficult. And there were times in that when... I just, I wanted the Lord's mercy to be her hair to come back. And, um, you know, I did wonder, Lord, is this, are you angry with me? Mm. Why won't you answer? Why won't you change this? And the Lord's mercy in that was really that Scout was okay. It didn't, her hair didn't come back immediately. In fact, we went through three, three cycles of this. It would be two to three months of treatment. Hair would start growing back. Would stop treatment, and within a month or two, there would be bald spots again. And um, we would start the treatment again. And Scout would agree. And then towards the end, she just said, "I'm not. I don't want to do this anymore. I'd rather be bald." And it, it just was rough. It was really difficult. Mm-hmm. There were most I I could talk about it like I'm talking now and not have emotion. And then sometimes I could talk about it, and I would just fall apart in a puddle. And so it just was hard and it was constant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you shared with us those questions that you had along the way that you know enough to know that maybe I can't see what you're doing, Lord, but even beyond the fact that I can't see what you're doing, I'm not sure if I trust who you say that you are like those deeper questions that the psalmist is asking, like, do you, are you finally treating me the way my sins deserve? Have you forgotten your loving kindness or your steadfast love. And you know, what really stuck out to some of us who walked through that story with you was just seeing Scout and her faith and what that did for you in the midst of that. Because as you're asking those questions, you're wondering if her little heart is going to start asking those questions and just where she went. Just, I remember you sharing a sweet devotional that Mm -hmm. she read to you and, and, and those times together where you thought it is just almost unbelievable to you that she could have that sort of faith. You know, that's really kind mm-hmm. of reflected in that ability to feel that sort of pain, like even in that very concrete example of getting those 40 to 60 little shots and yet staying in it and trusting. And I think that's the hard thing is when we are feeling that type, when we're feeling an intense pain, it's so hard to think. That in the midst of that, that the Lord is who he says he is, that he hasn't changed a bit, that he hasn't moved from that. And we have a very hard time convincing ourselves that something could be true, that it feels so opposite of what we feel in the moment. And so I think that's another reason that I appreciate this psalm is just as he moves through, he's, he's not afraid to give us words to express the questions that we have and the struggle that we have. But then he gives us something to appeal to that's outside of ourselves. I so often try to look inwardly to see if I can feel the right way, think the right way. But he takes his eyes and turns them outside and appeals uh, to what the Lord has done and what he has shown to be true about himself. Um, He describes in particular God's redemption of his people. And he describes that in verses 15 and 20, When y'all read those verses, what described there was helpful to you in these times of distress that you're talking about?
1: I think when I'm looking in the word and sitting still and allowing the Lord to speak to my heart, it's hard not to be moved when you recount God's faithfulness to his people. And when you just read the words that describe his salvation and his redemption and his leading his people i love the last verse of that you led your people like a flock with your mighty arm you redeemed your people and um, those words it, it does bring comfort it reminds me that god is in control that he is good that he has redeemed and we're going to be in circumstances that have yet to be redeemed, still waiting for the full redemption, but we can trust God's loving and good, good hand. And, um, Scout really was an example to me in that, that I, I that she did not pull away or flinch. And when I'm not, I'm not dealing with it well, I'm, you know, throwing up my arms, I'm pitching a yeah. fit. I'm, yeah. um, squirming. And so, um, but sometimes there are times when the Lord will still us in those moments mm-hmm. and let the reality sink into our hearts, which is that he does love us and that he has redeemed us and yeah. he's faithful. It
2: so. reminds me of a quote that Matt sent to me last week, um, which says uh, it was from Tim Keller. It says, never, ever, ever, ever think that God is not working no matter how much it seems like he is absent and at the same time, never, 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 never think you're going to be able to figure out for a long, long time what he's up to. So I think just as we think about this psalm, we, we don't know what God is up to. We're in the midst of crying out to him. Um, I think these verses are interesting because he's appealing to God, arguing against his own heart, which has ruled That everything was hopeless. He looks back at the past in order to trust the Lord with his fears in the present. Verse 19 in particular talks about him making his way through the sea. And I could not help but think of William Cowper who wrote God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Cowper suffered from major depression almost his entire life and actually became a believer in an insane asylum after he had tried to commit suicide several times. He wrote many hymns throughout his life. But I can't help but think that he was acquainted with Psalm 77 when he wrote God Moves in Mysterious Ways. The lyrics are um, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Mm. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. hmm
0: I love those words. Just how how you would think, man. Surely he had some portion of Psalm seventy-seven in mind. Just he moves in mysterious ways, and his footprints are in the sea. And how it says in that psalm that you led your people like a flock, like you're you're saying, Shannon. And yet your footprints were unseen. And by the hand of Moses and Aaron, you led them like a flock. It was powerful. It was probably frightening. And it was tender at the same time. And y'all are describing all of those things that in that place where we're reaching out to the Lord uh, for deliverance. We see that tenderness and we see that power and we see that part that we can't fully explain. That's a little bit terrifying. All those things together.
3: I love hearing y'all talk about that. That's obviously the closing of that psalm is so beautiful. And when we think about redemption, I feel like at least for me, it's so easy to think about my personal Aaron's redemption or maybe of like my inner circle or whatever. I'm thinking a very narrow lens. And one thing I feel like my uh, Hebrew professors really helped me do is take off my American individualistic lens and think of, try to think of, I'm still learning this, but just try to think of the scriptures as written to God's people, written to his flock. And that's how the Hebrew early Hebrew listener would have heard that is in this corporate solidarity type way. And so thinking of it in that way, it just widens the scope so much from me remembering how the Lord has delivered Aaron over my 30 some odd years of, I can remember all of those things and it's so helpful. And I think that's a useful exercise. But when I look over the scope of history and see that God has been in this business of delivering his people, from eternity that his life and breath has been filling our lungs from the beginning Um, that he's given us purpose and being that is a different kind of faithfulness that I can read just in my little short scope of life. So we can also look at the past of god's scripture like see his faithfulness in god's scripture and we can see it in our current life and looking around we can also look to the future and i think that's so much of what the end of that psalm reads as we see jesus as the the ultimate redeemer the ultimate one who keeps the flock so um talk to us some more about how psalm 77 helps us in our times of trouble to remember what god has done for us through jesus
2: The psalmist had the ability to look back and remember what God had done for the Israelites, just like we have the ability to look back and see what Jesus has done for us. As I reflect on what Jesus has done for me on the cross, I also go back to my own salvation story and remember how he took my dead heart and made it alive. He literally breathed life into me. He replaced my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. I was dead in my sin, and he made me alive to him. I... Love the stories of the Old Testament, that he part of the Red Sea. I mean, all the things that we have just talked about. But, you all know, he literally raised us from the dead. He, we were dead. And I think we take that for granted. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a when I sit there and think about that he redeemed me. Like He breathed life into me. He gave me a new heart. It just is such good news. Mm-hmm. And it. I don't know, I just, I can't wait for the people that I love who don't know the Lord to experience that because it's, Mm -hmm. it never gets old, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't, it's a good Mm -hmm. story, (laughs) you know, and so, um, I take it for granted Mm -hmm. every day that he gives me life and breath. I take it for granted, but he, he brought me out of the darkness into the light and Mm -hmm. thank you, Jesus.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. So good. I think you were right. I often just think me, my story. But anytime I do look at the history of God's people, it is amazing. And to just remind you of God's power and just the reality that the whole span of time, the Lord has always been and he's never not existed. It's just amazing. I Sometimes when or when y'all were mentioning this a few minutes ago, I just thought, I have thoughts sometimes of things that I hope will happen or, you know, be available in heaven. Um, And one of them is I, I would like to see some videos, video playback footage of some of these things that happen, like the Red, the red Sea and the people. And they're like, yes. I know they yes. were like us. They mm-hmm. were like probably pushing like i'm not staying in here long get out of my way let's run you're going too slow or were they like you know hands over their heads is this about to crash in on this (laughs) yeah and um so anyway that's that's a little silly but no i love it i'm here for the the replays i like um i just i i think yeah i'd like to know i'd like to see that actually um just curiosity Mm -hmm. but just to hear the stories and be reminded. It just reminds me of who God is and that He's big. And often, quite often when I'm struggling, I want to be delivered in that moment or very quickly from that moment, from whatever the struggle is. And um, it is it is good to look forward. I think you mentioned that too, um, Aaron, about looking forward to the future of our redemption, just the fullness of it, that, um, there are things that we're not going to experience fully here. And so I just look forward to the day when I don't struggle with sin anymore, when I don't get angry quickly, when I don't, when I'm not selfish, I'm selfish. I'm probably, I'm probably out of us and many others, probably the most selfish. (laughs) Um, so I just, to think for, to to realize that God has done this and he's going to bring it to completion just brings great comfort to my heart. Mm-hmm.
0: So. I mean, y'all are describing something that's miraculous, right? I mean, the just the way you're talking, Pam, like, I, like he raises from the dead, y'all. Like I was dead and now I'm alive and my heart was alive. And Shannon, even, you know, that struggle with sin that we still feel, but we know that the power of sin has been. Broken, we're not fully in ca- fully captive to it anymore, and I just think you know as we're remembering what's described here in the Psalm, we most of us are familiar with the story of crossing the Red Sea, and we can imagine using some of this language what a momentous event it was. Like, wow, that was amazing, miraculous to see, and just to remember where the people had come from, right? They were in slavery. They cried out to the Lord. He heard them. He cared about their situation. And yet his redemption was about more than just their situation. His redemption, he was calling them out of something in order to be a covenant community with him. He wanted to be their God, to dwell in their midst, to give them his law and to eventually through his people, bring his son that would connect us so that God can eternally dwell with us. And so he brought, he brings us out in order to bring us in. And it is miraculous. And he parts that Red Sea, but he doesn't just usher us through it. He walks through it himself. And that is the whole point that is Jesus. It's through Jesus that we go out. We're t- delivered from and we go into uh, that place with the Lord. And so in those times when our circumstances are hard and we find ourselves in trouble and we're asking all these questions of the Lord and we don't have answers for those particular circumstances, we can always look and say, you have already proven your steadfast love, your faithfulness, your mercy. You have proven it to me in your son. There can be no greater proof. I trust you in the midst of this
3: love that well Pam and Shannon thank you for talking with Amber and me today listeners if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests check out our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on Instagram at First Women. we'd love for you to join us again next week take us on a walk with your favorite flannel or sit in your cozy rocking chair with a cup of cider we will be sitting down with Ruth Killish and Katie Stockton to talk about the joy of our salvation we hope you'll listen in Sometimes a light surprises The Christian while she sings It is the Lord who rises With healing in His wings When comforts are declining He grants the soul again A season of pure shining To cheer it after the rain